Welcome to the 2018 seasons of the Wealth Standard Podcast, celebrating the principles of life, liberty, and property. You are listening to season three, Property. It actually is quite the honor to have my guest on today. His name is David Nagel, and he's the best-selling author of The Millions Within, How to Manifest Exactly What You Want and Have an Epic Life. And today he has a number of things going on, which we'll get into because the book was written a couple of years ago, but we're going to also talk about some of his presence online, some of the courses that he has and other resources. But David, what I thought first we should do is just maybe give us an idea to our audience of who you are, what your background is, and what you're all about. Yeah. I'm from Chicago, Illinois, and I was, as a teenager, kind of headed in the wrong direction, quit high school at 17, got married early, started having children young, and, you know, creating all the responsibility that goes with that without any way of actually being able to fulfill it, right? So I was working two jobs. I was working on a dock six and a half days a week and driving a truck, and Right after my son was born in 1989, I had a water skiing accident. I got separated from a boat, and I was sucked through the dam, broke my back, and I was only one of two people that ever survived going through that dam up until that time. Gosh. Yeah, it was a rough day. (laughs) So that day woke me up to the idea that we really don't know how long we have here. And I was playing small. I was not fulfilling my commitments. I didn't know what it was to be a responsible man, husband, father. My parents split up when I was 13. My dad wasn't around a whole lot. So I didn't have a whole lot of guidance. And that day kind of woke me up to the idea that if I was ever going to do something with my life, I need to stop procrastinating and start doing something now. I mean, I learned a lot of lessons from that day, but as far as the story of where I was and where I've come to, that was the main story that changed for me that day, that I need to do something. Now, I didn't know what to do. I kind of had an idea in my mind that now that this happened, something was going to like break open and my life was going to change in some way, which turned out not to be true, but it did cause me to start thinking differently. So once I got back to work and I was okay, I was working so much, I was just exhausted. And we were living in a really bad neighborhood next to a drug dealer. My self-esteem was going down like on a consistent basis. I was really ashamed of where we were living and that we had to be exposed to that. And on a Tuesday morning in February, I had a complete meltdown, an emotional meltdown in the back of the trailer that I was loading on this dock. And I was just like praying to God, you know, show me a way out. How do I get out of this? What do I need to change? And a little voice in my head said, change your attitude. So I didn't even really know what an attitude was. And I began to really think about what is an attitude. I picked the person that owned the company that I worked for. And I asked myself, what's the difference between him and I as far as our attitude? Because he's so much further than I am. And I would love to be where he is. What is the difference? And I broke it down to three main things that I noticed about myself and him as far as the difference went. He must have loved what he did because he started the company in his garage and he was the largest food importer in the country at that time. He treated everybody with total respect. 
So he would very often come through with other business people through the warehouse. And he would always stop and say hello, shake your hand, thank you for working for him, ask how your family was if he had time. But he acknowledged people. And I figured he also must have done a really great job. That's how he built a business. I wasn't doing any of those three things. I hated what I did. I was angry internally, so I was taking that out on other people. And I really didn't care about the quality of my work. So I decided I'm going to change those three things. Now, at that time, to give you a frame of reference, I was making 20000 a year working two jobs, six and a half days a week, all the overtime I could take. I was trying to find a way to get to forty. I thought if I get to $40,000, that will solve all my problems, right? <laughs> you know, after I changed my attitude and I made this commitment, I'm going to, no matter what, I am going to stick to this. 30 days later, I tripled my income. I went from 20000 a year to 62000 a year. Now, there were a couple of things out of that that were extremely significant for me. One was I knew that some way, somehow, I caused that to happen. I just didn't know how. Years later, my mentor told me I was an unconscious competent, <laughs> um, which is fine until something changes and then you don't know what to do. But I was blown away that this kind of a change could happen this fast with relative ease. I mean, it wasn't like I went back to school. It wasn't like I was working harder. It was a really an internal shift in how I was showing up every day. That's what made the change happen. And the other thing was that I was stunned when I realized that the opportunity for that to happen was around me for two years and I couldn't see it. Later on, I had been reading Think and Grow Rich. And in the beginning, he talked about the slide disguises of opportunity. And I immediately resonated with that paragraph where he said, sometimes opportunity shows up as fortune or temporary defeat or just being unfortunate. And I thought, this opportunity was around me for two years. And because of my mindset, I couldn't see it. So that really caused me to start studying. And I studied for seven years. And then I started working with a mentor. And from there, I went on to create my own business. I became a multimillionaire. And nothing really outside of that original attitude change changed all that much. I mean, I didn't go back to school. I didn't get a degree. I just kept working on myself and applying myself the best that I could to every opportunity that I had. I found what my purpose was, you know, that I wanted to teach other people how to do this. I liked working with entrepreneurs which I still do today. And I've worked with people all over the world and continue to do so. So it is my passion and my joy to wake up other people and lead them to their purpose and the freedom and the expansion of what it is that they're here to do to affect the people that they're meant to affect. And that's what gives me the greatest joy of all, being able to do that. This is fascinating. I didn't want to interrupt you because I had some thoughts that I think are pretty incredible about what you just said. I think the first, and, and totally correct me if I'm misreading this, but the first thing I see is, you know, perception of the world, how we view things, right, is largely a function of past, right? And opportunities that are probably all around us can't be seen because, you know, it's our past perception unless we start to make changes. And I think that's a big thing with, you know, Napoleon Hill talk a lot about this, which is, taking on, you know, a mastermind group and, you know, essentially an archetype of someone else 
that really represents or, you know, in an archetypal way has characteristics, traits, attributes that that are desirable to you and start to act that way. Because if you act the way you act, you're just going to get what you've always got. Right. Right. So it's the, really the perception. So how maybe right now, as you wake up every morning, like how has that adjusted your perception of the world? Like when you wake up, how do you view the world? Oh, I view the world as an amazing place. I think we're probably at the most amazing time in history. I view the world with an incredible amount of potential that is slightly misguided at the moment. Actually, what I think is I think we're in the midst of a major change. You know, anytime you see a lot of change occurring, you usually will see a lot of confusion simultaneous to that or parallel to that. I think that's what we're seeing right now. We're seeing a lot of confusion in values, a lot of confusion in where we're going as human beings, what's important to us. Mm -hmm. I also think that there's a lot of delusion out there that goes along with it. But I'm very optimistic about what we're doing. And one of the things that I think that keeps me optimistic is how many people are showing an interest in a positive change for our world and getting involved and really working on themselves and trying to make a difference versus the way that we did it, say, 50 years ago in the 60s, right? So I think that we had a great idea back then but I don't know that we had the emotional tools or the psychological tools to actually pull it off. I think we made some progress, but I think that people today are starting to show up a little bit different and realize I got to change me in order to change what is a representation of me, which is the reality that I live in. I love that. I want to move to relationships in just a second, but before that, how do you see the correlation of your perception of the world and your attitude? Yeah, that's a really great question. Uh, I can tell you that it is so vastly different from what it was, say, like before I went through that dam, right? I felt very unempowered. I felt very victimized. I felt like I lived in a world where there was nothing that I could do to control my outcome or my destiny. The world that I live in today, just because of the changes that I've made personally, is like 180 degrees different. The people that I know, that I work with, that I come in contact with are nice, they're friendly, they want to help, they want to make a difference. And that's not what I used to see before. I saw anger and victimization and entitlement. And I know that those things are out there, but it's not part of what my experience is today. So I hope I'm answering your question. It's very, yeah, it's very different. Because I changed. Yeah. Now, and that's, and this goes kind of the relationship idea. And I've been thinking a lot about this lately. And I know you've spoken alongside in the personal development world, Tony Robbins, Bob Proctor, and a few others. But I look at something I have learned through just, you know, study and education. It's the idea that, you know, having a lot of money doesn't equate to what people think it does. People are really seeking an emotion, right? They're seeking a way of feeling about something. And proof of that is, you know, the people that take their own life, even though they have a lot of money. Right. I think, you know, the correlation, you know, to attitude and to this is all money and all wealth is an exchange, right? So you have a lot of money. It's because you've, you know, if you've done it ethically, right? Yeah. Because you've, you know, affected in one way or another, a lot of people. 
Right. And so, you know, attitude, I believe attitude is that connecting piece, which I find fascinating. I've never really thought about it like this. It's fascinating to think about how you come across with a perception of like, we're in the most amazing time in the world, or we're in the shittiest period of history, right? Because you can see it both ways and kind of sympathize with it in, in a sense. But the attitude and how that connects with other people based on that perception, I think is really curious because with a person in a perspective of like, you know, the glass is half empty, like you don't want to be around that person or do business with them. Yeah. But the other way around, you do, right? Yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting, like you'll hear people talk about what it's like to go visit different countries. And I've been to a lot of different countries and I've had people say, oh, the people are really rude there. They're not nice. And I go and have a completely different experience where the people are warm and friendly and helpful and, and wonderful. I don't have that experience. And the money part of it, what you're saying is so dead on. I think every dollar that we spend or that we earn benefits the lives of other people, right? Because money is just a tool. And if I'm spending money, I'm contributing to the people that bought or own the companies of the products that I'm buying, which benefits them and their families and their kids, and they can send their kids to school. And if I'm earning money, I'm building a business which provides jobs and you know, income for people's families so that they can grow. When I first started off, I didn't know I was going to have that experience of how much joy I get in contributing to the lives of other people in that way, not just with the products and services that I deliver to the world, but the fact that I provide jobs, I'm, I'm doing something that's meaningful in a very holistic way with everybody that I come in contact with. I think there's correlation there more than we think. Because, of course, you can do something that's not meaningful and get money from it. I think the idea of really being wealthy or fulfilled or have that sense or emotion of achievement, right, is, not, is because you have both, right? Which is, you know, you've done something meaningful and you feel that, right? But you also have impacted the lives of somebody else because they've given you a lot of money. Right. Yeah, definitely. And... Yeah, it's interesting what people think about money because I remember before I was wealthy, what the thought was about what, what I would do when I was wealthy, like what I would spend money on, house yeah. and cars and trips and stuff like that. And then you become wealthy. And after you buy things for a little while, it's kind of like, it's not about what you're going to buy next, right? You don't, you're not coming from that place. It's about how you're going to serve more, mm -hmm. right? At least for me, that's what it is. Yeah. And to watch the light go on in somebody's eyes when you make a difference for them, the psychic income that you get for that far surpasses any financial income that you could. I mean, if I wanted to stop working today, I could, but I get to get up and do this every day. It's not something I have to do, right? So the whole attitude behind the fact that I get to get up and make a difference and that I made choices in my life that allow me to do that. I get to watch other people have those breakthroughs. That to me is absolutely amazing. It's and kind of like the accelerator, you know, cause yeah, I think everyone's like, well, if I had this money, it was just interesting. I was observing a dinner conversation maybe a month or so ago when that lottery was like at a huge amount. And you know, I was, I was just listening, I'm observing, but they were like, well, we're going to be able to do this and do this and do. And it's interesting. Cause I think most people think that way. 
and if you get to that place and you have those things, you realize that, okay, it's really an emotion that you're after, but then the acceleration piece, I would say is what you mentioned is you get to that point, but from my perception of those that are really wealthy, you go into a different gear, right? Where your drive doesn't come from, you know, having more money. It comes from having more of those feelings, which I think is serving and helping people, right? Yeah, absolutely. Huh. And, and I think you're right. I think people really want to feel good. I think that one of the problems that we have as a society is that we're having difficulty keeping up emotionally with how fast everything is changing. That's a good point. But the answer that we have to that is drugging people, right? That causes a major problem because it doesn't allow them to grow. And when we're seeking those feelings, when we want to feel good, you know, you mentioned about wealthy people taking their own life. I've actually seen that. And I think, you know, this year we've also seen some very prominent people commit suicide that you would think to yourself, my God, they've got everything. They've got dream careers and, you know, they hang themselves something. I did a podcast about Anthony Bourdain after he hung himself because he was one of my heroes. And there was no other way for him to get that feeling, whatever it is that was missing in his life. So I think that there's something to be said for really finding why you're here and having the appreciation and the gratitude for that. We do an exercise that we do as a company and I also do it with my family. And that is every day you have to say three things that you appreciate about yourself and three things that you're grateful for in your life. The hardest part for adults is to sit around like at a dinner table with a bunch of adults and say, tell me three things that you appreciate about yourself. They go blank, like they have a hard time with that. But if you ask a five-year-old to do it, they'll be like, I appreciate my nose. And I appreciate <laughs> my coat. They come up with things. All sorts of things. Really, yeah, they have no problem with it whatsoever. So it's almost like it's taught out of us mm-hmm. as we go through life to like waiting for the other ball to drop or whatever that saying is. It's like there's always an air of disappointment ready to come into somebody else's life because they don't really feel that they have control over where it's going. That's interesting. I wonder where that... Because I agree, it's kind of like you're selfish or you're self-centered, right? If you appreciate yourself for something, right? It's interesting. It's kind of like a social, some sort of social stigma of, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's school that teaches that. Have you ever thought about like where that comes from, that it has such a universal, it affects a lot of people because I know a lot of people like that. I think even myself to an extent. I think it starts off with the idea that Part of our value system is to put other people first. So we're never taught a healthy balance of putting ourselves first, taking care of ourselves, giving ourselves what it is that we need first, and making that okay without being shamed for it. You know, we're not born with shame and guilt, but it is used as a correction tool from the moment we're born almost, and then all through life. So once you pass that on to somebody, we do it ourselves. If my parents shamed and guilted me for my behavior, I don't need them to continue doing it. I'll do it for the rest of my life unless I correct that. Hmm. So if I'm doing something that would be outside of what was acceptable for them, I'll immediately go into shame or guilt and automatically correct my behavior to go back to staying in that pattern. 
I think that's where it has to start to change. Plus, the other thing is this. We're the only form of life that adjusts our behavior for the appreciation of other forms of life, <laughs> right? Yeah. It doesn't happen in nature. So the way that we were trained to do that is by limiting the way we can express ourselves. So I'll do seminars and I'll ask by a show of hands, how many of you grew up in a household where it was okay for you to express your anger? Or I'm sorry, not okay for you to express your anger. And like 90% of the room will raise their hand, yeah. right? So we were taught to express ourselves in a way that our parents were comfortable with, but not necessarily based on what we were going through emotionally or, or how we were feeling. Yeah. So in order to set ourselves free, we have to get back to that baseline of who are we and accepting ourselves for who we are and where we are not to say that we can't get better, but not shaming ourselves for what we haven't done yet and learning how to express ourselves authentically, right? And then anything that would be considered a negative emotion, like a lot of people consider anger a negative emotion, and I suppose that it is when it's expressed in a negative way, but when we're human beings, when we do have those emotions, how do we express it in a positive way so that we can get it out of our body instead of suppressing it and then at some point blowing up where it does get expressed in a negative way. It's interesting because I think we do tend to like deal with it, right? And it may seem so subtle on the surface where there's this little issue and it's like, oh, I'm not going to deal with it. Even though we don't think that it affects us, it does and it stays. And then the next time something happens, then it's, you know, a little bit more and then a little bit more and then it kind of compounds out of control. So and I've thought about a lot of this recently about how we express ourselves or how we deal with especially negative situations in a productive way. And I don't know if I have the answer to it. I've been aware of it and I've thought through and I've had difficult conversations or had to have difficult conversations, but then, you know, what do I do in order to not like subconsciously come across as a jerk, you know? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, it's part of it is evaluating on how much a person has the ability to accept responsibility for themselves and talking to them based on that level of where they are. If you're dealing with somebody who is really projecting that they're victims and that they're entitled and you come, you know, like, no, you, in order for you to change your life, you've got to accept responsibility and, they're not going to be able to hear you, you mm -hmm. know? So I think that we have to get back to a place where we we're really teaching what responsibility is in society and holding people accountable for that. The difficulty that we have is that like, that's great for kids. Okay. So a kid's mind's not programmed yet to project their, you know, blame other people for their actions or where they are in life. Yep when you're teaching children, all they have to do is make up their minds. That's the truth. That's the direction that they're going to go. They're relatively okay with that, with some guidance. Adults have to change their mind. So you have to get them to accept a different idea about how life is based on what the problems are that they're experiencing and where do they ultimately want to go. And the truth of the matter is some people just don't want to change it. And also there's layers upon layers, years upon years that is on top of what the core issue is. 
the issues is typically what's manifesting, right? It's those, those core issues. And so you're right. It's, it's dealing with that, that in adults, especially it's difficult. I'll talk about, I'll say one thing in relation to what you said, which is this understanding where we put others first before ourselves. And I think the connection that I made years ago, and I would say I still have issues with it, which is the best way to take care of others is to first take care of yourself. Yeah. Right? Because if you don't do that, then you're going to show up less than what you could for others. So you're hurting others regardless of whether you put them first or not. If you put yourself first, that at least you know puts you in the optimal position to be of most benefit to others. But these are all attitudes where it's, it's interesting. It still seems very counterintuitive to what the overarching, you know, universal belief is. But as you had mentioned, you know, I see signs of it changing and adjusting. Again, it's years, decades and repetition of what's kind of held as a social belief or, you know, an American belief or whatever. But it's going to take a lot of work. But it seems from your perspective, I would agree with it that there's some momentum there. Yeah, there definitely is. I was listening to Oprah in an interview one time, not that long ago, a couple of years ago, and they were talking to her about racism and where we are as a society as far as racism went. And it was an interesting interview. There was nothing really new being said, but the question was asked, what do we do with people that are, say, above 55 years old? They were raised in a different generation with different beliefs. How do we change their minds? And Oprah's response startled me, actually, when I first heard it. She said, they just have to die. And I thought to myself, at first I thought to myself, that's crazy. And then I was thinking, like, from a realistic perspective, there are some generational beliefs that people are not going to change. And you can tell a person that racism is wrong and it's ignorant and it's passed down from one generation. You can bring all the logical argument to someone. If they don't want to change the belief, they're not going to change it. They'll just shut up their mouth, but they won't necessarily change it. And I think that's what Oprah was trying to say. And then if you look at other things, it's like it will pass away as those generations of people with beliefs as they transition, right? Yeah. And new generations of people come up with a more loving mindset or a liberal mindset or however it is that you want to put it. But I think people are becoming more aware of the truth every day. It starts to become more obvious. I mean, we've pushed the button so far in one direction and there's too much information that is readily available at everybody's fingertips. It becomes difficult for the people that try to carry the lie from one generation to another to be able to continue to do so. Well, and I would say, you know, we've been talking about how individuals suppress once it's like, you know, group or a collective that's suppressing something, it's even stronger. And I would say it's interesting going to, you know, your story and your awakening when you went through that dam, I think catastrophic events oftentimes disrupt that mindset. I mean, you look at, you know, 9-11 or you look at, you know, the different hurricanes and, you know, natural disasters that tend to like bring people together. So in those like very disruptive environments, I would say is where you have this like inkling of, wow, people like are actually putting aside, you know, any differences, you know, political, social, race to help one another, right? But then, you know, a month goes by and it's, you know, back to normal. But it's interesting to see how 
you know, those type of disruptive events break down those social barriers that are evident. Yeah, they do. We do a program that's called Date With Your Dark Side. And the whole idea behind it is that if you have something in your life that is showing up dysfunctional or a problem that just keeps persisting, my belief is that the universe is always trying to correct us individually, trying to get us back on track with what our purpose is. But we don't normally or readily see all of those signs as we're going through life. So the natural progression is that whatever the dysfunction is, is going to continue to get worse until we have one of those radical wake-up call moments, whether it's a trauma in our own life or we're seeing it as a society. So, you know, I've told people, you don't have to get to the point where you have a near-death experience to change if you can recognize what the signs are ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And if you can then unravel or unpack what the patterns and the roles are that you've taken on from your parents that are continuing to cause those problems, you can proactively change and then learn the tools and the skill sets that you need in order to literally, you know, take your life down a, a totally different path and have a completely different result. And we've been doing that for a long time with people, and the results are absolutely astounding that they get from doing that. And it's like you said, for me, it came out of the idea of what happened in my life that caused me to change? And what have I watched thousands of people do to precipitate change in their life? And what caused that? What are the precursors that they experienced that said, you know, this has got to change now. I've got to do something different has to happen, you know? And it doesn't have to be that somebody dies or really gets hurt. It could be something proactive, you know, following something that inspires us, a desire that we have, an inspirational person or book or art or something like that. I think that there's a lot of things in this world that are pointing in the right direction. We just have to wake up to what they are. Man, we can have this conversation like all, seriously, like all day. I want to bring up one point. Then what I want to do is kind of wrap around to what does that, this have to do with, you know, being wealthy or which I, I think is, you know, was a topic of your book and something I think a lot about. So let me first address, you know, this notion of, you know, of awareness, because I think, you know, that's the key word that you brought up is when these disruptive events happen, right? You have a new awareness, right? Your perception has changed. And, uh, you know, I was having a conversation with somebody recently and they made an observation about me, which was fascinating. I'm still trying to process it. But, you know, my parents were both teachers, teachers in the same school system that I went to school in. And my brother and I, middle brother, we realized early on that we, you know, couldn't get away with really anything. And the discipline level, right, of normal, you know, teacher student was enhanced because, you know, if we did something bad, like they went to our parents, Right. And so it was kind of like an extra layer. And I never in a person, you know, made me aware of, wow, that that impacted your like, you're always trying to make sure that things look good. You know, she connected, whether it's the right connection or not. I just found it fascinating that we have all these experiences in the past. And this is I think it's everybody. Right. It's not just, you know, me. I think it's everyone where we've had certain experiences that we put meaning on and we've just continued to like you know, grow and enhance whatever that is until it exists today. But here's the thing. It's like, it's not like everybody was watching me then, right? Yeah, we may have gotten in trouble or done whatever, but what is it? It doesn't really apply or really have meaning 
if you're aware of it and you know how to process it, which I think is a whole other you know set of things when you approach the dark side, as, as you put it with your event. But I just find it fascinating that you know I think the being proactive about if you do show up, and I think and hopefully people take this the right way, but when you show up in life, the value you create to the world is represented in a couple of ways. But one of the ways is with wealth, is with money, which is here's what you've done for the world. And if you don't have a lot of money, you can be a victim about it and say, well, it's because this didn't happen or this person is this way or this person is that way. But really, if you take stewardship and responsibility for it, it's becoming aware of that and then figuring out how to show up different, how to change your attitude and control what you can control. Let's kind of bring this home, David, in regards to what does any of this have to do with being wealthy or achieving what we define as wealth? So what I believe the way that this is connected is that wealth is, or money itself, is very interesting when you take into consideration if everybody was aware of how to earn whatever amount of money they needed whenever they needed it, which is my definition of wealth. It's not stacking up money in the bank or in a mattress or whatever. Not that investing or saving is a bad thing. I think it's a good thing, but that doesn't define wealth. Wealth is your ability to bring that resource in. If everybody was aware of how to do that beyond working a job, really understanding how money moves and how to bring it into their life, then they become uncontrollable. So it is one of the ways that society still can control the masses because if they are dependent upon everybody else for the money, then they basically have to conform to everything that is required in order for them to earn money. Mm -hmm. So there's one or two reasons that people look at becoming wealthy. One is so that they don't ever have to worry about money again which is a negative viewpoint that's built out of fear. The other one is that I am born to be a success. I have a purpose. It is going to require a lot of money for the fulfillment of that purpose. And then that purpose is going to benefit a lot of people. And money is going to have a role in that. Like on our website, we have a free download that's called You Were Born to Be a Success that starts people off in that direction. It's like turning the corner for that individual in their life. But the key is that if we really come from this place of, I don't have to worry about money because I've mastered my ability to bring finances into my life, you totally change the direction and the purpose and the capacity for a person to expand their life because they're no longer fixated on, I've got to spend this much time or trading my time for money, working in a job that I don't like which, you know, makes people unhappy, working with people I don't like. I think you should do what you love with people that you love and master being able to bring money in your life so that it's not an issue. And I think that everybody can do it. My belief is that everybody on the planet has the same amount of money. They're just either ignorant to that, meaning that they don't know that that's the truth, or they don't want to change to be able to do the things that are required to bring it in. But earning a lot of money is not difficult. It really is not difficult. There are homeless people that understand that more than there are people that work that understand that. Homeless people, they're unbelievably resourceful. There are people that walk around free that talk about all the reasons why they can't do something. And you have people in prisons that are able to get drugs, 
pornography, cigarettes, all kinds of contraband, and they're in a 9 by 11 cell, right, 23 hours a day. How is it that they're able to be more resourceful than a person who's free? Because it's the chains in your mind that bind you. That's so fascinating. Yeah. If you think about it in those comparisons, right, here's another thing. You only have a person that says, I can't do this because I don't have the money. The problem is that they don't have the urgency. If you change the urgency in a person's life in order to get the money, everything changes. Oh, right? yeah. If somebody said to you, if you don't come up with $10,000 in the next seven days, your kid will lose his life. That I'll guarantee you the person will find $10,000 in seven days. But that'll be the same person that won't go out and buy a self-help book because they say that they can't afford it, yeah. right? Or they'll be late on their payments because they literally stop with the imagination in their mind or the story in their mind that they can't do it, it can't be done, or they have tolerations as to what's acceptable. They don't raise their standards in their life. But if you change the circumstances, they're actually able to do it. They'll break through whatever barrier that they have in order to make something happen. Now, the word can't, what an amazingly <laughs> controlling word that is. that is, which is like totally false. But I would say you're hitting on things that just resonate so you know, so well. And I think that's probably what you meant with the title of your book, you know, the millions within, right? right? Because we, you know, humankind shares very similar attributes. Okay. As far as who we are, maybe not the physical environment in which we live, but who we are and, you know, our ability to create and our ability to think going back really to, you know, what we talked about in the beginning, which is John Locke, who lived in a time where there wasn't electricity, where there wasn't plumbing, where life was very, you know, at the rudimentary level that he saw what a human being could create with the right mindset, with the right environment and so forth. And today, as you alluded to in the beginning, we have more opportunity today than ever, but also you could see a perspective where people think like it's all going to end. I look at, you know, just what we've been talking about here and, you know, wealth is to me, it's a mindset. And it's not something that you achieve. It's not this end result. It's a way of being. And you don't have to have a lot of money in the bank to think and believe that way. And I believe that you know true wealth is going to come about by first believing and thinking that way, which will create a specific attitude, which will then bring you around the right people and get you away from the wrong people. And I think that right there, you know, all together is that state that people are really seeking. And it's not a state that you achieve. It's a state that you are working on all the time. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. All the time. And it is a state. It is a way of being. It is how you show up, you know, every day. And, you know, anybody can do it. I think it starts with this. If you're willing to take responsibility for everything that's in your life, you take your power back, which allows you to change your perception and see what you couldn't previously see before. Because all the opportunities, everything that you need is here for everybody. It's not pick or choose. You don't see the worry. You don't see the fear. You don't see the dysfunction anywhere in nature unless human beings get involved. (laughs) Nature just flows with life and intelligence. It knows exactly what to do. Think about a beaver building a dam. They don't go to building dam school as little beavers, right? That's instinctual knowledge that they have. Mm -hmm. 
The same with birds building a nest, right? Those are very intricate things if you've ever actually looked at one up close. How do they know how to do that, right? We have the same guidance inside of ourselves, but we've got to stop following the dysfunctional stories that we've been told that are not based in any truth and really start following what is actually true. And the truth is you have to study a little bit to get to those things. But if you're willing to do that, you can change your life for the better in a very short period of time. David, this has been enlightening for me. This has helped me connect a few things. And so I, I really appreciate that from you know personal level. But yeah, this is something we've been talking about all your elements of this. And yeah. I think we brought it together really well. And so thank you. Thank you so much for helping us do that. Now, I know you have you know, not just the book, but there's a lot of other resources that you have that, you know, speak to practical ways of actually implementing some of what we've been talking about. Would you mind speaking to that before we end? Yeah, absolutely. So all anybody has to do is go to our website, davidnagel.com. There's a free download there called You Were Born to Be a Success. There's also a lot of other resources. Our events are all listed on the website and everything is, you know, if you want to come participate in something with us, and, you know, or you could give one of our coaches a call. Again, that information is on the website and they'll help you work through any problem that you're having and, you know, help you with what is the next step from there. And we'll put links to that. We'll put your website URL on the show notes and on all the social media posts as well. And then are you, are you pretty active on social media? Can we post some of that stuff too? Yeah, absolutely. We're on absolutely everything and always communicating there. Well, David, again, we're going to have to do a follow-up to this, but thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your experiences with us. I really appreciate it, and I'm sure we'll touch base and talk soon. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for joining us as the Wealth Standard Podcast spends all of 2018 celebrating life, liberty, and property. Be sure to leave us a review on iTunes, and we'll see you on the next one.